0: Jewish Audio on Chabad.org. Welcome. This is In Conversations with Hannah. I'm Hannah Weisberg, editor of the Jewishwoman.org. Today we have a special guest, Hani Ben-Yeminson. We thought it would be a nice idea for many of you who have seen some of the people from our team. You see some of the classes that we do, some of the writings that we do. But we thought we'd take you a little behind the scenes to some of the people that you might not have met um, for those of you who do comment on the site or ask questions to the site, you probably have come in contact with Chani Ben-Yeminson. For those of you who haven't, you might not know about what she does and how she holds the fort at Chabad.org, doing such in- integral parts of it in keeping the site running. Welcome, Khani. Thank,
1: thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Khana.
0: Thank you for joining us. Could you tell us a little about your, what you do for Chabad.org?
1: so i manage the ask the rabbi team that means that um, all the questions that come in i field all the questions that come in and i delegate them to the appropriate rabbi or rabbitin. and wow. i'm on the editorial team as well but my main job is the ask the rabbi um, so we have a team of 25 rabbis and Rebitsons, um who speak amongst them a combination of seven languages Oh my! Um, wow! Yeah, yeah. So that we can assist people who don't necessarily speak English, but still have questions about Judaism, and reach out to us. So English, of course, Russian, Portuguese, Spanish, Italian,
0: uh, wow. German, wow. Russian, and Hebrew. I, and you and you speak all those languages? No, I speak yeah. four and a half, <laughs> okay. and I sort of understand
1: a bit enough to be able to, you know, understand what needs well, to go there.
0: Wow. Interesting. So what kind of questions would you have from people?
1: We receive questions that really cover the whole gamut of humanity. We receive questions about Judaism that have to do with life cycle events such as birth, marriage, death, bar mitzvah, bas mitzvah. We receive questions about relationships, both as they pertain to Judaism and not just simple Mm -hmm. relationship questions, mental health issues, um, mundane Mundane questions such as what time does Shabbat start in Seattle or Nepal or Mm -hmm. when does when is Rosh Hashanah? Um, People turn to us with, you know, is this fish kosher? Is that item kosher? Is the ingredient in such and such medicine kosher? Can I can I have that medicine? Um, Organ transplants, questions about DNA. We really receive so many an incredible variety of questions. Wow. And it's wow. fascinating to see and witness, you know, the, the thought process behind the questions.
0: Right. Wow. How approximately how many questions a day are you are you fielding or directing?
1: We're fielding thousands of questions a day. The amount oh, wow. is. Yeah, it's it's incredible. It's it's. Um, we're and busy it's, all hours of the day and night. That's, that's <laughs> an incredible way of. of
0: People to connect and to really reach out. Yes. Is there any, any question or interaction that specifically stands out for you of something that was very unique?
1: So to me, there was an interaction that remains with me to this day where because we also receive questions that have to do with life threatening issues. I tend to check email at all times of the day and night and right before I go to sleep. Oh, wow. And one so night-
0: So your job never ends. <laughs> my job never ends. It's not a nine
1: to five job. Right, one wow. night an email came in. It was winter. We are in you know, the New York area where winters are cold, generally speaking. And it was a very cold winter night. It was 11 o'clock. And I, I got an email from a woman who said she was barefoot. She had no heat in her house. Mm. She was with a child and she had no food. She had no coats. She had nothing. She was living in a very difficult situation. And I was able to get her the help she needed. I was able to get food with help of the local community and clothing and sort of slowly help her get back on her feet. Um, But what hit me was that she was living in Brooklyn in a community. It's a large Jewish community. And And she didn't feel comfortable reaching out in person to an organization there or a Mm. rabbi there. She reached out to Chabad.org anonymously, but she got real practical help. We were able to help her. She trusted us with her story. She trusted us with her life, with her privacy, and we were able to help her. And eventually she, thank God, moved on and things are better for her. Um, And we didn't just help her on a practical level, but we helped her on an emotional level. We were there as a support for her. Um, so that story still sticks with me to this day, that a person could be in a crowd and not be seen. A person could be living in a populated wow. place and nobody knows what they're going through. And wow. thank God, God that org is able to be there for people who don't always have a connection and, you know, prefer to do it this way.
0: That's amazing. That's really amazing. I'm yes. just picturing you. So 11 o'clock at night, like you're ready to go to bed with all your children and you probably had a, quite a day. And yeah. then what did you do? You got on the phone, you started making connections, like how yes, did you solve it? Yes, I started
1: it? making connections. I, I connected actually online with another person who does not work for Chabad.org, but who's also involved in this type of uh, of ventures. I found a place that gives donations of clothing to whoever needs them. Um, and they were able to to get, you know, warm coats and shoes that way. And some private citizens actually brought stuff over to her home after I got her permission to get, you know, her address, they brought it anonymously, just dropped it off and left. And likewise, they brought food. And we also arranged for like a gift card at a supermarket so that she could go and shop without, you know, Mm. and not knowing who gave her money to be able to buy and she could get whatever she needed. And um, yeah. So it was a combination of an online and offline work.
0: Incredible. Yeah. Just, just off the record, what time did you go to sleep that night, <laughs> <It was laughs> or did you? Thirty. It was
1: twelve thirty, and you know, I got, I didn't get everything done that night, but at right. least I got her started. started. I got her, you know, with wow. some warm clothing and something to put in her and her child's belly, and then the next day we finished doing the rest.
0: Wow! Yeah. Incredible! Yeah. Incredible! Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's really amazing. Um, I've, I've heard the philosophy of Chabad.orgs Ask the rabbi is: don't answer the person, don't answer the question, answer the person. Um, What does that mean exactly? How do you how do you do that?
1: You know, sometimes people ask a very straightforward question. What time is Shabbat in New York? And that's Mm -hmm. a very straightforward question. They just really want to know when does Shabbat start? When does Shabbat end? But sometimes people will ask questions that have that are more nuanced. And you can tell that they're not just asking the question. Why does the Torah say such and such? Or why did God cause negative things to happen to good people? very often that's a facade for what's lying underneath something not good may have happened to that person or to a loved one of that person they may be hurting they may have you know those big questions that come up when serious life events occur might be going on and so I always encourage my team to look at what may be behind the words and look at mm-hmm. try to look at the totality of the person and not just the words that the person writes. Mm-hmm. Because remember, we're doing this all via email. We're not doing this mm-hmm. via webcam. We don't see the right. person. We don't know who we're addressing right. in many cases. Very mm-hmm. often we do develop a connection with a person. We get to know them. They're what we call our long timers. Really, uh, we have long relationships with many, many people.
0: Really? Um, like, can you give us an example of someone who you have a relationship with oh, or like a situation?
1: Um, we have people that, that really contact us for everything and anything that goes on in their life. They don't yeah. necessarily live in, in a Jewish community mm-hmm. um, where there is an active Jewish community or a rabbi full time. Um, and so we become their, their contact, you know,
0: wow. Wow. we become their
1: contact. Um, so you know that's and it could be for more simple, simple things like questions about observance of the holidays, questions about interpretation of the Torah, that person may be studying alone and has questions about how to you know interpret different aspects. and serious life relationship, how to raise kids, parenting, uh, husband and wife, you know, relations issues, all sorts of things. It's really. Okay. Wow. Everything you can imagine and more. It's very, very interesting. And, you know, I've been doing this for almost 25 years and I'm wow. I'm still not tired of doing it. Wow. That. Interesting Incredible. every day.
0: Interesting. Wow. And how do you decide who to delegate it to from your whole team? I guess you have intuition on who deals with different issues best.
1: Yes. And I also have a team that has different, each team That's member team. has different expertise areas mm-hmm. of expertise. And so I do that you know, I try to field it based on that and based on intuition as well. Sometimes I just have that gut feeling that person's going to be better for that. And usually it works. Sometimes (laughs) I make mistakes, I'm not perfect, but usually it works with Hashem's help.
0: Incredible, really incredible. So you said said you've been doing it for 25 years. How did you come to Chabad.org? Like, how did you start working there?
1: Well, I was recruited by Rabbi Shmatkin, who's the (laughs) director of Chabad.org. And I actually started in the editorial department. We were at the time building the website. We were building on the foundations that the original founder of Chabad.org, Rabbi Kazan of Blessed Memory, started. Uh, When I came on board, he was unfortunately not well. He was in the hospital, so I didn't get the chance to meet him. But I was always very inspired by his incredible dedication to uh, spreading Judaism, to being available. He was the first Ask the Rabbi, and Mm -hmm. he was a one-man show. Mm -hmm. And his image always inspired me and continues to inspire me very much. So I started an editorial. We were just, you know, we were putting together material, holiday websites, weekly Torah portion websites, and that's how I started. And then eventually, as the website grew and as the usage of the Internet grew, because it wasn't that common in the early 90s, um, there became a need to expand the Ask the Rabbi team. And so I, 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 I started taking on that job and slowly but no. surely, you know, we, we built it up. Wow, incredible. And here we are.
0: Yeah, amazing. And I understand you also do reader comments. So you look through all the comments that come to the through the site. You go yes. you have the tedious job of going through every single one of them and approving or just or not approving uh, some yeah. others. How do you decide what is actually fit for print?
1: Well, we do have guidelines that are posted mm-hmm. that you know people who write and post comments can see.
0: Mm-hmm. It
1: has to be according to, you know, it can't be against Torah. It can't be against the philosophy of Torah and, and what we stand for, which is authentic Judaism. Mm-hmm. And obviously no offenses. We we are open to discussion. We don't always have to agree with each other, but it has to be a respectful discussion with no negative words, no personal attacks. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's very nice to see how the reader comment section becomes another way for people to connect.
0: It's almost like a community of people who it really- It really
1: becomes a community. We have- to help each a, other. We have an article that may appear to be not so interesting because it's it's a biography of a, a Rebbe, uh, not a Chabad Rebbe, Rebbe Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev. Mm-hmm. And in, that, in the reader comments, there is a community there. A community has formed mm-hmm. because people are researching their ancestors and they're connecting with each other. They're helping each other. Many are discovering that they're actually long lost relatives.
0: Wow, that's all incredible. happening in
1: the reader comments. Comments. Likewise, there are, you know, more. Uh, there are other places. Uh, this, I could. I have to say that Chabad.org is a microcosm of the world because you mm-hmm. have philosophical articles and you have people having philosophical discussions and disagreements about what the author has written sure. or what they're saying. So you have a really a lot of everything, and then you have an emotional support system in the reader comments of our psalms page of the tehillim page where Mm -hmm. people write messages my son is being having an operation tomorrow can you please pray for him and people Mm -hmm. write that they will pray and then they ask for follow-up how did it go we're thinking of you so it creates a virtual community and this is not something that's new in the covid and post-covid era this has been the reality here at chabad.org since you know for the past 20 years wow it's really beautiful to witness that
0: yeah, it's nice to see how you know people sometimes feel so isolated here. There's a, an opportunity for that connection. Yeah, That's beautiful. Absolutely. Approximately how many comments do you get a day?
1: Um, I would say that before the holidays, it's much busier than usual. Mm-hmm. Probably, yeah. Also, in the in the thousands. Um, wow. When it's not holidays, it's probably closer to a thousand a day, but still a lot. It's a lot.
0: So you're saying, oh, thousands per day comments that you're going through?
1: Yes. Yes. Wow. Yes.
0: Incredible. Yeah. Okay, okay, unbelievable. Tell us a little about yourself. Tell us a little about your, your background. <laughs> <laughs> the the chani behind the job, the chani ben Yaminson hey. behind Chabad.org. What so what can you, you grew up where? I grew
1: up in Rome, Italy. My parents are Chabad Shlochem, Chabad Lubavitch Shlochem There, they were sent by the Rebbe in 1976. Wow. Um, I was born yeah, there. there. All was, my siblings were born there.
0: They were sent from where?
1: Uh, from New York. Uh, My mother's American. My father is Russian, actually. He was born a refusenik.
0: A refusenik? He
1: was born a refusenik in Soviet Russia. At the time, his parents and older siblings had been requesting to leave for seven years. The law in Russia was, in the USSR, the former USSR, was every year you could request permission to get a visa to leave the country. And so my grandfather would religiously go every year. And every year they would religiously answer, no, the request oh, denied. No. It took a total of 20 years for them to be able to leave. So my father was born into this situation. Wow. Um, when and, did they finally
0: uh, leave? When were they
1: able to leave? When he, a year after his bar mitzvah. Yeah. They, wow. in, the, in the early 60s, they were finally able to leave. 60s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they, you know, they went through a hard time. They were religious, observant. Here's a picture of my grandfather. Oh, wow. This is what he looked like in Russia. He had a full beard all the time. Incredible. He only worked six days a week. He would not work on Shabbos. And so he would uh, lose jobs very often because not everyone was willing to hire an employee who, even though he was a very good employee, would not work on Shabbos. Mm-hmm. Um, it was difficult to find kosher food. It was difficult to, you know, to to be a proud Jew. But my grandparents never compromised. And at some point, the KGB threatened that they would take their children away. They had 13 children because they did not send them to public school. Wow. So they compromised and they agreed that they would send them to public school. But on Shabbos and holidays, they would send only one child. They would take turns
0: Uh
1: sending one child at a time. And the KGB and the school officials agreed. It was a huge deal because, you know, one of the ideals of communism is that everyone is the same. Everyone has right. to do the same thing. And so it was all over the papers in the town where they live near Moscow that Khazan is doing things differently. That my maiden mm-hmm. name is Khazan. You know, he's not sending his kids to school, he's not giving them a proper education. And there was a whole brouhaha in the town because of Khazan sticking to his principles and wanting mm-hmm. to do, you know, what God wants. And so that was a compromise they reached. And, um,
0: so one child would go on, on, on one Shabbos One child would go on Shabbos.
1: She would not carry, school. they would not carry anything. They would not write anything in school. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's, there's a known story of my aunt who is no longer alive now, but she was nine years old and her teacher was trying to force her to write on Shabbat. Mm-hmm. And she wow. refused.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: She refused. And it came to a point where the teacher was shouting in front of the whole class. And it was okay. so noisy that the principal came and asked what was going on, and she said, "You know, this chazan is not writing; she's disobeying my orders." So she said, "Is she a good student?" The principal said, "She said yes, she is a good student." So the principal sat down and asked my aunt the questions. They were math questions, and the, t- the principal wrote them down. Wow! And then she asked the teacher, "Is this correct?" She said, "Yes, it's correct." And she and then the principal said, "Leave her alone. It's enough that she comes to school on Shabbat. Don't she doesn't have to stop? Uh, she doesn't have to start writing or carrying."
0: Wow, that's that's nice that she had a sympathetic principle. Yes. Wow. Yes, incredible.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: yes. So, you, so your father grew up in that kind of environment, and my father grew mean,
1: up in that kind of environment. His home was a chabad house before there were chabad houses. Before there was mm-hmm. a concept, uh, my grandfather built a secret mikvah under the kitchen floor and a secret matzah bakery oven under the kitchen floor. Um, there was a minion in his house every Shabbat and all every holiday. Um, People who wanted to marry Jewishly under a chuppah would come to do the chuppah in secret in the middle of the night in their house. And so my father and his siblings grew up in a very happy home. All their memories are very happy. And they grew up in basking in the light of Judaism and helping others. And when they finally left Russia um, and moved to Israel, my grandfather was already a middle-aged man. And he continued doing this work. He continued helping Russian immigrants Mm -hmm. uh, marry according to Jewish law and, you know, do a Brit Milat to their children and all the different life cycle events and made sure they enrolled in proper Jewish schools and got jobs and he helped them. And that's how my father grew up. Wow. My my grandmother's quiet support and my grandfather's activism. And so when it was time for him to, you know, build his own life, that was definitely something that was in the forefront of his mind.
0: You say he grew up in a in a happy home. Obviously, like it must have been a happy memories because he chose that lifestyle for himself. Yes. When he when when yes. he went to Rome.
1: Yes. And also there was a lot of pressure. That's why I'm I'm mentioning happy home because life in Soviet, sure Russia, was, neighbors spied on each other, family members spied on each other. There was an incredible level of tension sure. in the country. And, and yet so much my danger. grandparents managed to create this oasis. Wow. And incredible. That's what yeah. stayed.
0: Yeah, really incredible. So, yeah. you, so you grew up in Rome. What was it like growing up in Rome?
1: Well, we were the only uh, family, as, as often happens when Chabad goes to, you know, remote places. Rome is mm-hmm. now not considered remote anymore, but in our <laughs> days it was. Um, there was no proper Jewish education. So myself and my siblings left home very young between the ages of five and eight. Um, where, the, where did you, know,
0: you go? Where did you go at such a young age?
1: So I went for the first year to my grandparents in Chicago, my maternal grandparents. Mm. And then I went to Milan in mm. northern Italy, where there was mm-hmm. a more observant community. And Chabad had a school and still has a school. And myself and other people stayed in the home of Rabbi Rebison Gorelick, who are the head shluchim of Italy.
0: Really...
1: We stayed in their home for almost 12 years. Very Incredible. long time. They became our second parents, essentially. Wow. Yeah, we were very lucky.
0: So you you speak English perfectly. You have no accent. I guess that was because of your years in Chicago or that your no, mother was because, because your mother you was know, American?
1: Well, it's a combination. When when children grow up hearing different languages, when they're born mm-hmm. into hearing different languages, they naturally have the talent to mm-hmm. to hear and speak. And our house was an international home because our house mm-hmm. was the Chabados, it still is. So we had tourists, we had locals. To whom we spoke in Italian, fluent mm-hmm. Italian, parlo italiano benissimo, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, Israeli students. We had med students and architecture students. They all hung out at our house. And so we grew right. up exposed. Plus, my parents spoke to us in Yiddish. So we grew up exposed to three, four languages easily. Like we were born into it. And right. yeah. That's so an that incredible
0: test. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. What was it like to leave home at such a young age? That must have been difficult.
1: You know, our entire life was different from the rest of the community. And so this was just at the time, it was just, okay, this is one more thing that we do differently. And hey, Mm -hmm. I'm going to spend time with Bubby and Zadie, which doesn't Mm -hmm. happen because Mm -hmm. we grew up at a time when there was no webcam, there was no Mm -hmm. internet, and the Mm -hmm. phone was very expensive. So we spoke to them once in a while and we barely knew our grandparents. Mm -hmm. Um, So I enjoyed the experience. My grandmother tells me that I cried but I don't remember that part. I guess I blocked it out. <laughs> I <laughs> I I'm sure eating. there was
0: some hardship involved yes. in leaving family, but, yeah, you, yeah. but it but was I going.
1: Didn't realize the impact until later, until I was a teen. Right. right. Because it was just one more different thing that our family did.
0: Right. Um, and then, and then you went to Milan, which was also not home. How was far was that? Home. From, how far the, for, from home was that?
1: So at the time, it was an eight-hour train ride. Nowadays, yeah. it's three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. So we would go home. The first year, I went home once a month by plane. But then mm-hmm. as more siblings started to come, that wasn't really possible. So we would go home for the holidays, you know, Rosh Hashanah, Sukkot, and Hanukkah, and Purim, and Pesach. But the community in Milan was so amazing. It's a mm-hmm. special community. And they took us in. They really treated us like children, like their children, like family. And I had a wonderful experience. You know, Mm -hmm. as hard as it is to be away from home, I was, thank God, in a very good place. And the school is excellent. I got an excellent education there. It still is running and it still is excellent. And uh, I'm very grateful for that. It was really, thank God.
0: Well, the fact that you talk so fondly about it rather than have all these traumas or, you know, (laughs) (laughs) worries or anxieties from it shows that I guess it was a very good experience. Yeah. Yeah. And tell us about your life now. You're a mother, a wife, a shlucha tell us a little about that.
1: So I am uh, I have several children, thank God, boys and girls, ages 21 to three. Wow. <laughs> so I have toddlers, teen, tweens, teens, and everything in between, <laughs> and young adults, I guess they're called now, 21. <laughs> um, my husband and I run Chabad of the South Coast in Massachusetts. It's um, Our base is in New Bedford and Dartmouth, the New Bedford that's mentioned in the book Moby Dick, which many of our uh, viewers may know um, it. In its heyday, it was a very large community with a hundred thousand Jews and kosher stores and many schools. But as the different industries of diamonds and textile merged to India and uh, China, the community became much, much smaller. Now there are, you know, a couple thousand Jews spread out over six towns. Um, and How many Jews?
0: I, I missed that, sorry. A couple
1: thousand. Like couple thousand. five hundred, approximately, mm-hmm. scattered mm-hmm. over six towns. Six and, towns, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we do the work that is mentioned in the Prophets, and you will be gathered one at a time. That's what the work my husband and I do. We go, we visit one person, we put on filling on one person, we give Shabbat candles to another. We have a wonderful weekly women's class with... You know, sometimes three women, sometimes eight. The numbers don't matter. What matters is that we're trying to reach out to every Jew with love, as the Rebbe inspired us to do. The Rebbe said we should reach out to Jews with love and show them the beauty of Judaism. And that's what we're trying to do, one person at a time.
0: Well, I'm, I'm seeing a little pattern here. You know, Chabad.org, you're working with one person at a time. Inspiring and you know, enlightening them, warming their souls, and you're doing the same thing in your shlichus, one person at a time. Right. And through each one person at a time, you're reaching thousands of people around the around the world, yeah. and in your own community. Wow, incredible! So, what are the challenges in working in such a community?
1: Um, there are many people that have never been exposed to to Judaism. And certainly not to Orthodox Judaism. And so they're mm-hmm. literally afraid of us.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so it's challenging to just get through the door sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. We don't want to make people ultra Orthodox. We just want right. to make people aware of their heritage, teach them about Shabbat, show them what you know, the basics of Judaism, let them know about Judaism. That's all we want. And that's that's sometimes a challenge because we very often can't get through the door. So it's slow and tedious work. But we have a mission. We are always inspired by what the Rebbe taught and uh, modeled by example about how every person counts, and so sure. we don't let it, you know, get us down. Even though sometimes there are some discouraging moments. For me, coming from a large community, you know, in in Italy, it's it's very it's a very different reality. So it was mm-hmm. definitely an adjustment. It took it took mm-hmm. an adjustment uh, period, but uh, you know, it's it's very valuable and very precious to see when one person. And another person and another person slowly become interested in what the Torah has to offer.
0: Hmm. Wow. How do your children take to it? What do they feel about living in such a small community?
1: Well, we actually live in a a slightly bigger community now within commutable distance so they can go to school. So they get the Mm -hmm. best of both worlds. So -hmm. they have some friends in both areas and they appreciate a bit of both worlds.
0: So your children, you're not sending it far away. You're keeping them close. Not until, no, I send them when they're
1: like 13, 14. I don't send wow. them when they're under eight. No, uh-huh. <laughs> that I don't do. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. Wow. Incredible. Um, what do you say to yourself when you feel challenged, when it feels difficult, when, uh, you know, I'm sure it's not an easy situation to be in. What do you say to yourself to encourage yourself to keep going?
1: I remind myself of my my father and my grandparents and what they went through. You know, they were able to to keep on chugging under life-threatening situations and they mm-hmm. not only did they survive, they thrived. And mm-hmm. so I remind myself that as hard as it may feel and even be in a given moment, you know, they met ma- they went through stuff as well and they managed to get through it and so with God's oh. help I'll get through it. <laughs>
0: Wow. Incredible. Um, can you take us through, like, I'm just curious about your schedule, a day in your life, a day in the life of Khani bin yeminson what would it look like? <laughs> it's just seems like up. there's so many different parts to your life, you know, yeah. so many different areas. And I think so many people and women in particular are juggling so much. So I think they would appreciate to hear some tips or, 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 or ways of coping with all the, the many different parts of your life that I have to come in together.
1: <laughs> so what helps me uh, keep me sane is actually waking up early in the morning. I am an early morning type of person. So I try to wake up between four and five and those few hours. I can attest because I get a
0: few of your reader <laughs> comments early.
1: <laughs> right. yeah, but when the house is quiet, my mind is fresh, no one is pulling my skirt and mm. needs this mm-hmm. and that. I can, those two hours, I can work and I can often get more work done in those two hours than I get done later in the day.
0: It's interesting because I was just reading about how the greatest entrepreneurs say, get up early in the morning. That's when you can get the oh, most done. Oh, you so, <laughs> so you're a big entrepreneur getting that, I getting everything I done.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I guess I am. So that is one of my secrets that I I try to get as much work done as I can during the day. And while the kids are in school and mm-hmm. um, and then I just have, you know, I have a, a schedule and I try to stick to it where, you know, a certain amount of hours I'm working Chabad at Chabad.org. Then I'm dedicating myself to our And, you know, in between I get stuff done via support, remote support to my parents as much as I can. And, you know, oh, wow. and, uh, and do everything else I do. And I do also work after the kids are in bed. Um, uh-huh. There's no way I can get everything done other if, you know, if I didn't work later as well. So I don't really have the best work life balance, but,
0: uh-huh.
1: but, this is what I need to do in order to get everything done.
0: (laughs) Right. Wow. Incredible. Can I ask how many hours you sleep at night or no?
1: (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) Wow.
0: Especially if you're up at five in the morning. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Usually four or five. I I try to aim for six when, when things go well, I do six. I, I. Interesting. Yeah. Wow.
0: That must be tiring. Okay. Okay, this is incredible. Thank you so much. Khani, can you give us a little picture about what your goals are in life, like your dreams and goals for the future?
1: My goal is to bring Mashiach. That's a great goal. That's my goal, to bring Mashiach, and that's why I work so hard, because I believe that everything I'm doing is leading towards that goal. I'm helping people become closer to Hashem. I'm helping people who need help with whatever, whatever aspect that may be of their lives. And as the Rebbe often said, one good deed leads to another and every good deed we do brings Moshiach closer. So that's mm-hmm. my goal. That's, that's mm-hmm. all I want.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. And what powers you when you wake up in the morning? Like what powers you to keep going when it's a cold day and it's so much to do and you really would just want to turn over and get back to sleep? What, what keeps you moving forward? I'm not what the type of person
1: you. that wants to turn over and go back to sleep. <laughs> okay. Except on Shabbat. On Shabbat, I wind down, and my body does that. But during the week, there's so much work to do. There's so much work to be done. Um, there's so little time. Um, there's, you know, time is finite, and and so I feel the necessity to work. I'm just like that. I, there's so much that needs to get done. Um, the Rebbe himself is my inspiration. He never stopped working. He ne- rarely slept. And he was always learning Torah or working and helping others. And mm-hmm. um, the Rebbe did that all the way into his 90s. I'm not that old yet. And uh, thank God I have the energy and the health. And so how could I not uh, wow. be busy and work for the other? It's it's in my blood, really. I absorbed it from my father, from my mother. They're both, you know, dedicated, hardworking shluchim. Uh My mother founded a preschool and she still runs it now. She's, you know. I'm not going to say her age because she probably doesn't want me to say it. She's <laughs> young, she's young, but she's not, you know, she's, she's, she's been on she's since the seventies. She's wow. mature. Thank you for that. Um, and they are my example as well. They, they don't stop working. They don't stop caring for others. And it's something that I I was born into and I absorbed in, you know, with my mother's milk and mm-hmm. uh, I can't do otherwise.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you, honey, Thank- for, for joining us. Thank you for giving us a little, vision of the woman behind so much that's going on at Chabad.org, the Ask the Rabbi team, the reader comments, and a woman who's juggling so many different parts of life and doing it so successfully one person at a time and how one person at a time can make such a huge impact in really changing over our world because every person is is a world on their own.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Hannah. This was wonderful.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us.